You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We get into the journey of their life, the ups, the downs, how they have gotten to where they are today. It's called Claim It because I believe that our feelings of worth, of joy, of enoughness, of success are not out there somewhere. Once I have this, do this, be this, then I will feel enough, worthy, successful. Nope, it doesn't work that way. It's something that we have to find within ourselves and claim for ourselves every single day on this journey through life. On today's episode, I have Amy Dresner. She is the author of the addiction memoir, My Fair Junkie, a journalist, a speaker, a recovering addict and alcoholic. Um, random, I happen to be reading her book because I love to read and I love memoirs and hers is really freaking good at the same time that she followed me on social media. So um, super cool how we got to then meet and talk and we didn't know each other at all. And I really loved this conversation and getting to know her. And I highly recommend reading her book. It's a really good read. All right. And um, it's inspiring that she's made it out the other end (laughs) and is here to talk with me today. So let's get to the episode. Yes. We'll just start off there. Yes. I read your book and I was thinking about that on the way up because I don't know you personally at all. A lot of guests I have somewhat, somewhat a relationship with, but I was all like, I don't know. And then I was like, wait a minute. She like, what am I going to ask her? I wonder if she's going to want to get too like, personal. And then I'm like, wait, I read her book, which is very, <laughs> very personal. Very personal. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Before we get to the book, let's just start. You grew up raised, born and raised in LA, right? Correct. Yes. And were both are, were your parents both part of the entertainment industry? No, my father was a screenwriter and my mother was a fashion designer. Okay. But they split when I was two. When you were two. Yeah. So I was like shuffled around a lot between them and between countries. My mom moved to Mexico briefly when I was young. And then when I was 13, she lived down there for about 10 years. So I was raised a lot by my father. But and he's, he's been married five times. Oh, he's been married five times. Yeah. He's in LA. No, he's in Ashland now. Okay. But at the time. Yeah. So, so. he's probably working hard. Yeah. He was doing very well writing movies and TV and that kind of stuff. And he grew up on sets and all that crap and was like a Hollywood kid. And But what weirdly sort of uh sheltered like i went to this all girls private uniform school with like tori spelling and like rain Pryor, and like everyone was doing drugs and like i never did any drugs i was like a total good girl hadn't lost my virginity like total purist and i was like drugs are bad and then it was like, just so whatever i've judged in my life i've become that's just that's been my experience like careful what you judge because the universe is like oh really bitch yeah you don't think that could be you here and then, like, I'd be, like, a full-blown junkie later, you know? And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I was surprised that you didn't, yeah, you didn't even, like, drink I didn't drink until I was 19. School, right? Mm-mm. Yeah. So, I mean, as, a, as a, I'm an addict, a recovering addict, you know, we have a hard time with moderation. We're really good at extremism. So it's like either we're fucking everybody or we're celibate. Either we're like smoking meth or we're doing CrossFit and we're vegan. Like we're just not good at moderation, you know? So it's it's not surprising that I was like, I'm pure. And then all of a sudden I went completely the other way. Like, yeah, w- 
way the other way. And that was pretty much, yeah, you talk, you get really, your book is detailing the years of your, what would you call it? Addict? Yeah, my addiction. Addiction. I mean, that was 30 years. I mean, I was, you know, in and out of uh, 12-step rooms and rehabs and all that kind of stuff for, and detoxes since I was 26. And now I'm 50 and I have seven years clean. So do the math. Like I would have time and then I would relapse and time and relapse. And that was like, you know, a good 25 years of me struggling with addiction and depression and not really being able to sort of focus or on work or anything. I was just trying to like not kill myself, which I tried to do a couple of times and try and get clean. And then I finally, you know, got clean for a while and started doing stand up and all that kind of stuff and got married and then that blew up. And Oh, right, right. Yeah. I was like, it's funny because I've read the book, but then yeah. at the same time, it's funny. It's so well written that I even said this, that it's like, I, I messaged you at one after I finished it and was like, I know I read your book and I'm following you on Instagram. <laughs> And you're celebrating your, what did you celebrate? Seven. Seven years clean. And I was like, but I'm still worried that you're not alive. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's Even the You just posted this. I, know. I was like, your book is so well written I know. that I'm yeah, still I know. People, worried for your life. <laughs> yeah. People were like, even after they read it, they Googled to see that I was alive. They were like, oh, and I'm like, they're like, we know she must be alive because she finished, she wrote a book, but like, it's so gnarly. Yeah. And I know. like, I see you celebrating your seven years. Yeah, and I'm still like, like, but you're alive. Sure? I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's 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 bizarrely miraculous that I'm oh, here. Oh man! And that I don't look like an apple doll. Like I should off all the drugs. I should just be like <laughs> one of those apple. You know those dolls where they put have the apple face and yeah. they like shrink down. Like yeah. All right. I want to get back to that. But so so growing up, you went to super private schools. I'm guessing in the, from the outside looking in, you were probably like had. Yeah, everything you wanted, great. except yeah. well, your mother wasn't. You didn't have the perfect home family, life. Yeah, home I know. Life. My parents hated each other, and I was shuttled back and forth between the two of them. And I had a lot of nannies. My mom worked really hard, and um, I was, you know, my dad had time for me. His schedule was more flexible because he was a screenwriter and a television writer, and so he, you know, thank God he really stepped up and became my mom and my dad, which of course then created mm, sort of like it got confusing as I hit puberty. My mom was gone from 13 to 23 and my father was my mom and my dad. And it was like, he was much more emotionally available and affectionate than my mom ever was. Cause my mom was raised by a schizophrenic and my mom was a recovering alcoholic. And so, I mean, she did the best she could, but she's an artist. She's a loner. I mean, she probably shouldn't have had children. I mean, she did the right. best she could, but my father was like, I was his princess and blah, blah. And so, you know, it became. Were you very much then like trying to please him and oh, make sure totally. that he wasn't. Absolutely. Absolutely. Upset. And like, he's a writer and I'm a writer and like, I'm, you know, we, you know, we're, we're weirdly similar, you know, and what's what happens when you're a female raised by a man is that like, you know, like I, I mean, I talked about it in the book, like I can play poker and I can play basketball and I can make a mean drink and I don't know how to cook or put on makeup or whatever. And I'm straight. So it's like a little bit awkward. Like, you know what I mean? I'm sort of a man in a woman's body in a weird way. And it's like, I'm very much you know, in touch with my masculine energy. And um, I've been working on that as I've gotten older to kind of soften and stuff like that. But like, 
you know, my dad was my icon. He was my idol yeah. and he was, you know, my main parent. And, but as I hit puberty and like that, it got weird and there was just sort of emotional incest, I would say, just like in terms of like, uh, where I didn't want to become sexual because I didn't want him to push me away. I wanted oh. to be asexual because I was his child. And I thought that if I became like if you sexual, were dating guys, yeah, if I was dating this, or if I looked sexual, like he would, then he would to... push me away. It would make him uncomfortable because then we weren't buddies and I wasn't his companion and I wasn't his little mini me. And then the, 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 the sexuality, my sexuality would make him push me away. And I, I had no other parent at that time. And I, I was like, so I suppressed my sexuality completely, which then later came out in really unhealthy ways. Do you, were you aware that you were doing that at the time or did that like come up later in like years of like therapies and stuff no, like that? No, yeah, I wasn't aware. I was just sort of afraid of sex. And I just thought like, and I was like in some weird like fantasy world where I was going to marry Rob Lowe and like, you know what I mean? Like I was a teen and I was like, he's my soulmate. Like looking I'm back, I'm like, oh, okay. for yeah, totally. Like it was all of that. It was like, I've always been like a huge romantic and all that kind of stuff. But I was also like really obsessed, with like puberty, but I was like terrified. And I don't know if I knew inside that I was going to be like a sex addict and a drug addict and all that kind of stuff. And so the, there was a part of me that was like, don't go there. Don't open that door. You know what I mean? Right. If there's like something in your body. Yeah. Like, I don't know, but I just was freaked out by it all. Huh. And how did you feel about your mother growing up because now you can see oh, okay she was raised by a schizophrenic she had she was de dealing with her own alcoholism like and stuff like that me. but as a kid I'm sure that has to be where's my mom yeah I mean she was there but even when she was she worked a lot even when she was there she was just exhausted and very self-absorbed and um you know the big thing that I talk about is you know like when I She'd come home at seven at night, you know, and I'd been picked up by nannies and was waiting for her and I'd run to the door to hug her and I must have been, you know, eight or something. And she'd go, just wait, wait, wait. Like I'm in my Armani. Don't, I don't want to get wrinkled. And I just felt like I can't wait. Like I need my mom. Like I need, I slept in her bed with her till I was 13. It was the only time I could really be close to yeah. her. And, um, so we would fight a lot and I just... What I think it's created is a template for how I choose men, which is emotionally unavailable workaholic men who are sort of avoidance, like love avoidance. And I'm like, you know, well, you know, I understand that you don't you're not open to love, but I'm special. And if I can make you love me, that proves I'm lovable. And that's something I'm still really looking at. Which you think is like what you got from your mom. Yeah. So that she imprint. I'm chasing my mom's love. Yeah. That. Totally. So like the relationship you were like in your mind, like I'm going to win you over or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And so that you then created that. Yeah. With I mean, the there's like a life. creepy thing I used to do with her when I was young where I would lay on top of her with my nose to her nose and look in her eyes and be like, look at me, like, see me. You know, and then I did it Aww. to my husband and I did it, my ex-husband and I did it to my ex-boyfriend. And wow. it was like, and that's a little bit creepy when I look back, but it was like, it's so sad. It's like, yeah. I, don't, I can't get close enough to you. I can't like see me, love me, like connect yeah, with me. That's like, what we all as yeah. humans are like, we're all like wanting that. Yeah. Hear me, see me, love me, like everything. Was, yeah. yeah. And my dad was very, very much like. Very loving and right. saw me and whatever, but you know, again, so even though you had that 
from one parent wholly, you wanted it there, here. You know, yeah, but again, you know, the, the, the mother-daughter relationship is a whole other thing. I mean, yeah. there's a whole, I was like on a, a radio show and there was someone that had written a, a book called Mother Hunger. I forget her name. And it's Mother like, Hunger? Yeah, and there's a whole thing that like when your mom's not available that creates, you know, all of these issues. And also, sure. you know, my father didn't like my mother. And so then I was rejecting the parts of oh. me that were like my mother, you know, and I look a lot like both of them. And I, I think I rejected my femininity to a certain extent. And I was just modeling myself after my father. And, you know, in my 20s, I was out in the world living in San Francisco and men were just like totally freaked out by me. And they were like, you're too aggressive. You're too assertive. You're too intellectual. You're just too much like me. And I was like, well, a man with a pussy, what more could you want? Like, I don't get it. But, you know. And then I realized like I needed to sort of like own my own femininity and like whatever. But I also have like the most the lowest voice of, woman, <laughs> of any woman on the fucking planet. And even like I call my mom and she's like, may I help you, sir? And I'm like, oh, it's your it's your daughter. It's your daughter. Hi. You know. Uh, <laughs> wow. OK. And then what about like friends and stuff growing up? Like I would have, did a, you really have close, a social. Yeah, I had a really close group of friends. OK. Um, so you had that and they, I guess, weren't party. They weren't kids. party girls so either. We were all. Yeah, world. there was like seven of us and we were all real good girls and got good grades. And we were all, you know, and I'm the only one that became like a drug addict. So what happens after high school? Is that when you... I go to college and I'm like, look, I'm so pure and like, I don't drink and I'm a virgin. And people are like, okay, weirdo. Like, and I was like, oh, like this, this is like an albatross and it's not cool. And so like I drank and got laid and I was like, I need to fit in. And um, so you feel like, yeah, there wasn't a moment where all of a sudden you were like, okay, maybe I'll try that. It was more like... I guess I'll try this to fit in. Yeah, I was just like, oh, it's not cool. And maybe I like I need to like just. Yeah, I thought like, oh, maybe I'm repressed or like I'm behind or something weird is happening here. And so I drank and, you know, it it, it was a problem pretty quickly. Drinking. My drinking looked different than other people. But it was also college in the sort of late 80s and everyone's college. skipping class and blacking yeah. out and throwing up. It didn't look that different. You know what I mean? It's college. No, totally. I mean, I remember even my sister probably started college in the like 90s, but still like she went to a drinking school yeah. and I would go party and like, that's what you did. Like, yeah. And I'd so go visit as a 15 year old. So and I'm like, yeah, you just no black one, out no, every night. Yeah. You wake up somewhere. Yeah. You don't know yeah it doesn't matter. Yeah. Cool, I'd wake that's up, what yeah. I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Like, did I fuck someone? I don't even know. Like I'm waking up naked and there's like, you okay. And if anything, you're like, yeah. kind of even proud of it. Yeah. Right? Like totally. it's celebrating. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's wasn't, so no one was like, you're an alcoholic. Like I didn't yeah, look like, like that. People celebrate that in college. Like, yeah. oh, you're, wow. It didn't. Yeah. And so it was like, it didn't look that weird, but I also had like, I became anorexic and had my first nervous breakdown at 19 also. Okay. So it was like, that's when I started to like really come apart. Um, and where then, do you, where do you feel the anorexic? It was right after I lost my virginity, which was a really horrible oh. experience. And I think I completely, again, went back to desexualizing myself and becoming a little girl. So like right after I lost my virginity, I, I was full blown anorexic within months. So it was then I guess just related to control and going back to like, cause a lot of people would turn to anorexia, right? Cause if I need to be thinner. I mean, I gained some weight in my first or second year of college and I had gained some weight um, and I wanted to lose it, but like 
I lost like 30 pounds over that summer and then it just continued, continued, continued and like it got completely out of control. I mean, I'm guessing anybody that suffers from anorexia, it's not all about weight. Like that ends no, up being like a part of it. No, it's about a way to control your it emotions. It's a way that. to control your emotions yeah. and control your feelings. And, you know, f- there are many people who are alcoholics or drug addicts who have had other compulsive or eating disorder. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's very, very common. Um, and so, I, you know, I, there's a joke in my book and it's not a joke, but it was like I figured out, you know, the the recipe, which was like, hey, like I can put something in my body and make me myself feel different. And it doesn't matter if it's a Xanax or a donut or a dick. Like I realized very quickly I could control my feelings through my body with eating or not eating, with drugs, with sex. Like that was going to be the dial that I could control my feelings. So once I found crystal meth, then I was like, well, fuck anorexia and bulimia. Like this shit works. And, and was so, that in college? That was after. That's when I lived in San Francisco and I was right. about did, 24. Did you end up finishing college? Yeah, I finished college. I graduated magna cum laude. I was okay. like almost a valedictorian. So like, you I made was it always, through Yeah, I was drinking. super, super on point with my my with my grades because I was, you know, very much perfectionistic and all that kind of stuff, you know, and I'd been raised, you know, that like grades are important and that kind of stuff. So I never really dropped the ball there. But um, when I got out of college, I was just lost. I moved back to LA and I just kind of like fell apart again. I had no structure and I was like, you know, I was working. I was like, I'm going to be an actress like every Kid so when LA. you were going to college, what did you go for? Did you have I did. any? I wanted to be, I wanted to study writing, but my father was like study advertising oh. PR because that's a backup right. job. Like being a writer right. equals poverty, which is true. <laughs> 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 um, but, um, you know, I got back to LA. I, I was working at a like high end boutique and I was taking acting classes and that's when I was still very much in my eating disorder. And that's when I really started to fall apart again emotionally. And I started to day drink also. And that's when I was like, oh, this isn't good. And then I got fired. I've been fired from like almost every job I've ever had for like having a bad attitude (laughs) or drinking on the job or like taking too many days off for being for like sick days, quote unquote, where I was just like too depressed to get out of bed. So then I moved to San Francisco and I was like, fuck L.A. Like, you know, I'm going to say yes to everything and I'm on an adventure and I'm going to recreate myself and blah, blah. And it was my year of saying yes. And I said yes to whatever came my way. Drugs. Yeah, I was like, a lot of people start to claim now the year of yes and looks a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was like a good thing for them. And for me, I mean, yeah, it was cool. Like I did spoken word and it was like, right. I, you know, I got into performing and you know, I was like, you know, kiss some girls and like did some drugs, but the drug thing. Yeah. Like, so you were like, OK, yeah, but I was yourself, like, you know, I'm imp- I was like, I am repressed and I am afraid and I need to say yes to everything because I don't know if I don't like it or if I'm just scared of it. So I'm going to mm. push myself and say yes till I figure it out. And so I said yes. And, 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 and good things came out of that, too, like me working for the quadriplegic guy, which was an amazing right, experience, which right. I would have never have done if I hadn't been in my like, you have to say fucking yes, Amy. Yeah, you got to read her book, all these stories that she's like touching on. Um, Yeah, so, but I also said yes to crystal meth and that thing grabbed me by the throat and I didn't realize that my mom had been a speed addict and my uncle had been a speed addict and like, it was like the perfect drug for me. For someone who was depressed, it was like, ding, I feel normal. And that became my life for the next two years and it spiraled really fast as most, you know, meth addicts experience. when you're in that, do you have an inkling of, 
oh, this is bad. I'm fucking my life off. I need to stop. Or are you pretty much just, I mean, for a while, I'm guessing there must be like a beginning part where you're like, whoa, this is great. This is great. Maybe I don't need to do it all the time. Like, I mean, are you aware and you're just like over and over being like, fuck it, choosing, choosing more? I mean, I always, I always compare it to sort of gaining weight, like becoming a drug addict. Like, like mm. you don't gain weight overnight. Right. You're like, it's slow, slow, slow. And then all of a sudden you're like, fuck, my yeah. pants don't fit. Oh, you look in the mirror. So, like, yeah. You're what? like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> like, so it was like, I was using every day, but I was still thought I was experimenting because I'd never really been like a drug addict, you right. know, and I'd never been around drug addicts. So I didn't know what any of it looked like. I just know, I knew it made me feel normal and I was young and I was experimenting and I was living with a lot of like gutter punks and skinheads and junkies. And so I was, I didn't look different than anyone else. And I, it made me feel normal and I wasn't going to put it down. Like I didn't want to put it down. I didn't realize where it was going to take me, but, um, did you just feel like, oh, this is just a phase in my life. And then when you were like living where you're saying you're living with skater punks and junkies, in your mind, you're not like, I'm living here because I'm a junkie too. You're like, okay, this is my year. Like, I'm experimenting. Yeah, like, I'm trying like, new I'm things. I'm living a Quentin Tarantino movie. And I'm like, you know, right. a Beverly Hills princess. And isn't this an adventure? And he, right. he, he. So that's like an adventure. This is yeah. a part of my life. I was like, I'm, I'm slumming it. Well, this is interesting and whatever, you know. And it's like, um... But even the other tweakers were like, whoa, girl. Like, they called me Hoover. They were like, you need to slow your fucking roll. Like, yikes. Like I was a vacuum cleaner. Even in the beginning, they were like, you need to calm down. Like you could have a problem. I'm like, whatever, you know, and um, and then things really spiraled. And I mean, <sighs> drug addiction is such a prison. You're in it. And by the time you realize that it's a problem, <sighs> you you're too afraid to put it down because yeah. you're like when I, at least for me, I was so addicted emotionally, physically, my whole life was all about meth. Um, I was selling it. I was, you know, doing it every day. I couldn't get out of bed if I didn't do it. And, um, and then my depression started to break through. And so now I'm super depressed and I want to kill myself and I'm smoking meth every day and starting meth every day. And so I'm, I was scared to get clean because I just thought, well, if I'm already depressed while I'm on Got crystal it. meth, like these feelings are just going to take me down. So at first, this is the best thing ever. This is great. Yeah. I was like, why isn't the whole world on this? It's like Prozac with wings. I was like, this is like the magic pill I've been looking for. It was my solution. God, and then I felt normal. Like at a point. But then, you know, then all, you know, then I got an infection in my face and my whole face blew up. And then like my parents, like dragged me back and then I started like no one would book me for spoken word because I was so fucking loaded all the time and they were like she's really talented and she's just out of her fucking mind and so I was like oh so all the consequences started to pile up but I didn't care I right. was like wanted to get high and that was my whole life and it was like so then I my parents moved me back to LA and thinking I'd be clean here because I'd been I'd never had used here and it's like you know you, it doesn't matter you you put you drop a drug addict into any city and we will find fucking drugs you know, we have a radar. You, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, so I was clean for a couple months, but I was drinking really heavily. And then I relapsed back on crystal and then it was just on again and it got worse than ever. So when you're saying to, like, 
you are starting to, the depression comes on. And so then you're afraid if I stop, what will it be? So that's what I'm saying. Like at first you're like, this is the best thing ever. And then slowly it's like, it's never enough. Like you're not yeah. overcome, able to overcome. Yeah, the depression breaks through feelings. the meth. Yeah. The meth stops so working. It doesn't get high. Like you don't get as high as you can. You know, it's like, you know, and it's like, I was on psych meds at the same time too. My poor liver is like, hello. Like I like, you know, I like, I mean, really I fucked my liver up. I have an enlarged liver now and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I gave myself epilepsy. Crystal meth gave me epilepsy. So wow. I've had epilepsy for over 15 years. So then to, so the first time, so when they first move you back to LA, it's not even sending to rehab. It's just like no. move to LA. Yeah. Hopefully that'll fix yeah. it. Yeah. She'll be clean there. No. Yeah. And then I just like, I, you know, I found a dealer and it was on and I navigated the entire LA speed scene from that one person, you know, to like, you know, Mexican cartel dealers to just like, you know, like skater boys on Hollywood Boulevard. There was like a like like, you know, I had a lot of gay dealers because, you know, Crystal Meth's huge in the gay scene. And it was just like, you know, and it just I mean, basically then it was when I started staying up for like 17 days in a row. And that kind of wow. like it got really gnarly. Is there at any point well, when you're moving, when living back in L.A. that you have any like when it career goals or are you just now that the like drug part has been turned on you're just only ever thinking about Let's drugs Let's so at this point then like is your dad helping you out yeah my you're... dad's helping support me they don't really know what's going on they're just hoping I'm like, yeah they're just and like pretending yeah, like it's just I'm gonna like, fix I'm writing itself. a book you know okay. which i was which is still like i have a book that i wrote completely on crystal on crystal math which is just like i don't even <laughs> ever want to read that book <laughs> frightening <laughs> um uh, Got it. But though, so then he can't have something to buy into because you are writing something yeah, and he knows the work of a know, writer. Yeah. And, um, but they knew something was going on. They didn't know how bad it was. And, you know, I kept saying, oh, like I misbudgeted, like I need more money for rent. And they were like, and then they started to get really suspicious. And then I started to buy crystal and sell it so I could cover my habit. Right. Um, and then I, you know, had a grandma seizure in a market and woke up in an ambulance. And that's when I was like, I got to go to rehab. So was that the first time? Yeah, you that was the first. Of six and that times. was you. <laughs> so the first time though was then your choice. It was, Yeah, it scared, okay. the, it scared the fuck out of me. I was like, this is gnarly. And also it was really starting to get really dark. I mean, meth, that the meth life gets really dark really fast. It hadn't been fun like it had been in San Francisco where we were all creative and reading poetry on mm. spoken word night and da, da 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 Like this was me living alone, like picking at my face, refinishing furniture, like dumpster diving. And it was like a much gnarlier crowd that I was hanging out with. Like, and so it got, you know, it was very much out of my league too. So when you go to rehab, that is your choice. You know something's wrong. Oh, yeah. I knew. Long... I, I never knew. I never not knew I was a drug addict. But like, you at that point felt like you were ready to. Yeah. I was like, I got to get clean. This shit's going to kill me. Yeah. And with, how long did that first one stick? And how was that process of like going to rehab and starting to then, I guess, right, you have to face yourself <laughs> pretty big or were you able to be like in denial um, no I wasn't in denial I just was really you know I was in a dual diagnosis for you know and a lot of the people there had really like severe schizophrenia really severe mental illness um but I was young I was really really <sighs> rebellious I was 25 and I was 
a brat and spoiled and entitled and thought I was an atypical addict and, you know, was very, very rebellious and uh, angry. What came up when I got clean was rage, gnarly rage. And uh, so I stayed clean for about a year. I went to a sober living uh, run by nuns. And then um, I thought, well, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm just a drug addict, so I can drink. So I tried to drink and that didn't end well at all. I was like in a blackout for three weeks. And I was like, okay, maybe not. So then I basically stayed clean and, uh, and sober on my own without like any program or support for like seven years. And I moved to Europe oh, wow. and did fashion with this, with my, with my business partner and all that kind of stuff. But I just was very depressed during that period. And that's where my epilepsy started in, in Paris when I had five years clean all and of a sudden. At that time when you were clean too, then are you, were you taking any medication for like depression yes, and stuff always. too? Okay. I've, been, I've always been on medication for depression. I've tried to get off it a couple of times and I've tried to kill myself. So Even like, in like high school or? Uh, I once... started when I was uh, in my early 20s, I started depression. I mean, there's an enormous amount of mental illness in my family. Like there's so many people that have killed themselves, asylums electroshock therapy. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. And so I just was really dealt a heavy hand genetically with, with mental illness and addiction. I just didn't really have a chance. Universe is like, here you go. Good luck. You know, you could need more genetic tests when you're yeah. born. Like, by the way, this one, yeah, my dad was it. like, I wish I'd really thought about who I'd had a baby with. Like, you know, she was an alcoholic and had, you know, so much mental illness in her family. And I just, I really didn't, we didn't think about it. Right. I don't know if that's even, you know. I don't think people think about it. I don't know. I think like maybe these days that might be something. I know so many recovering addicts that have babies with other recovering addicts. And it's like the chance of having an addict baby is like. kind of a harsh, like, well, I'm in love with this person, but I don't know. There's a chance (laughs) that if we have kids, like, you You know, that's kind of a shitty thing. Like, I'm not going to choose to have kids with you because they could. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's just, you know, you just hope for the best. You're just like, oh. But with the mindfulness of this is a possibility. So maybe things to look out for. And what is that? Maybe like starting them in therapy younger yeah, or something. I mean, I think assessed, it's giving... telling them, I think it's giving them a heads up early on. Like right. you have a proclivity towards this. Right. And you need to be careful. Yeah. Or I just mean, even I... with mental illness too. Cause even if it's not addiction, then just to know like, yeah, they might not even realize yeah, that what it wasn't they're thinking just isn't me right. being 19 and being like, ah, it was like me starting to have like really gnarly. Like I've had a bunch of nervous breakdowns. It was like, you know, me really like just the depression was just brutal. You know, and at brutal, that time, brutal. though, when you were like probably at your first one, did you even would you have known to call it a nervous breakdown? Yeah, I did. I you knew. Did? I knew I was. And I, I asked, I pleaded with my psychiatrist to put me on meds and he he would not. Wow. Because, yeah, I'm thinking there's probably people out there that have but this never was gone also, to therapy, you know, never this was gone to anything. The, you know, late, this was, you know, early 90s, late 80s. You know, I mean, he should have put me on meds. I mean, meds don't fix it. Let, let me be honest. I've been on every med there is. They, they, they make it better. They put a little bit of a net, you know, the depressions are shorter. You know, I don't maybe fall down as deep. Sometimes I still do. Uh, it isn't, it isn't a cure-all. For me, it hasn't been. And I've been on all of them. And it's like, they don't make you happy. They make you undepressed if you're lucky. You know what I mean? So it's like, I mean, I've tried to kill myself on meds even. It's like, so... Uh, I, you know, they're not the perfect cure at all, but yeah. they can help. 
Um, and, you know, stuff that I've also been looking into since I've gotten sober and, you know, started writing for addiction magazines is a genetic mutation that a lot of addicts have, which is, which is, it's called MTHFR. And basically you cannot, you do not have enough of the enzyme to break down, um, folic acid that's in green vegetables and make it into L-methylfolate, which is the building block for serotonin and dopamine. And so you're born with low dopamine tone. You're fucked because you can't actually make it on your own. And I got tested for that. And of course I have it. And I'm not surprised. So I take an L-methylfolate supplement now. And again, that helps, but like, it doesn't. It doesn't mean like everything's great. Yeah, I'm not like, Woo! you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm still like over caffeinating and like you know, like you know, struggling with nicotine and like all that kind of stuff. Like you know, all that. Yeah. So, um, but uh, so then, yeah. Uh, I mean, I just I struggled. I I never touched meth again after it gave me epilepsy. But I I did get into other, you know, after I time clean, you know, I make them I made the mistake that a lot of addicts do, which is like, well, I've been clean for seven years. Like it'll I'm I'm cured. I'll be fine. Is and, that what the and was that just like, oh, I can have a drink or what was the Oh, thing I thought I could years? smoke pot and smoke I pot. hate right, pot. I was like, I hate pot. I can like smoke Yeah. Yeah. I don't even like pot. Drug. I won't smoke a lot of it because I don't even like it. And so now I'm smoking pot and hating it every day. But I'm like, I feel different and that's what I wanted. Um, and then I'm like, well, I can drink because it's been seven years and it'll be fine and it's totally not fine. And now I'm drinking in the morning. And then I'm like, well, I can do Coke because Coke's natural and it's not meth and it's different. And like, I never had a problem with Coke. And it's like, I mean, just the rationalizations are just bananas. And at that point in your life, though, too, was there anything like terrible that was driving you back or it was just more of the no, fact of it's like, just being oh, lost. It was just around. No, it's you don't. I mean, when you're an addict, you are you have an innate feeling of emptiness and loneliness and self-hatred and fear and all of that so So it doesn't matter you know what I mean I had money I had a job you know it didn't matter it wasn't like, oh, someone broke up with me no, or my life just happened. Now happened. I'm going to sink that, in. Those things later it's happened like, and I would hey, relapse. Things are going good. Yeah. So this person's doing this. Well, why can't I? I mean, I had not really treated my addiction ever. And so it was like, so then I picked up and that was, you know, and then it was on again. And then I was back in my second treatment center and then I got back out and I relapsed again. And someone taught me how to shoot up because they're like, hey, it saves drugs and it's like way better. And like, why aren't you doing it? And I'm like, well, why aren't I doing it? Like, it's efficiency. Like, if you had to go to Uruguay, would you take a rickshaw or a rocket? Like, let's get to where we're going. And I'm a Jew and I like to save money. And like, I was just like, you know, and I also at that point was like, I'm always going to be a drug addict. Like, I've, 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 I've now basically relapsed out of two rehabs. I've had this problem for over 10 years. I surrendered that I was going to be a drug addict. And I just took that choice to just start, you know, intravenous drug addiction, which is a complete different thing. You know, it's, it's, if there are many drug addicts who are like, I'll never cross that line. Like the needle, I won't do the needle. Like, and it's also something that, you know, society has a really weird thing around. 
and you can see it on you. You can see track marks on you. Right. It's a whole different thing. And it's not like you can show up to a party and be like, I got a six pack and some syringes. You guys ready to party? Right. You're not like, going to be like sitting in the like, yeah, you're, people are like, oh, let's do Or maybe yeah. we'll go to the bathroom. But there's like a group of people or something like that. No, but, like, it's a loner activity. So now I'm like shooting cocaine by myself in my apartment by myself and uh, and having seizures and, you know, yeah. And then going, oh, well, I should lay in a pit of pillows so I don't crack my head open. <laughs> or wear a helmet. Yeah. I'll wear a helmet. And I shot Coke wearing a helmet. Wow. Because I was like, I don't want to not get high, but I want to crack my head open. Like, hi. It's so crazy. But when you're in it, it all makes perfect sense. It's just. Because you're you just know, like craving that Well, your feeling. brain you're is like completely hijacked at that point. Yeah. I mean, everything, you've got all these different neural pathways. Your whole prefrontal cortex is shut the fuck down from the drugs. It's not. So you don't have the impulse control you used to. You don't, you know, then I also have hyperactive lesions from seizures on that part of my brain. And I was just fucked. And I also was lost. I was in my 30s and I was like not married, hadn't had a lot of relationships. Didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do with my life. Just lost. Um, so, yeah, it was just more rehabs and then, you know, 12-step programs and getting sober and relapsing and getting sober and doing stand-up and getting married and relapsing and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, the big thing that changed me was... Uh, being high on Oxycontin and Four Loco, yay, classy. Do you know even know what Four Loco is? No. Oh, it's this really disgusting malt liquor that you can get only at like Seven oh, Elevens and okay. gas stations. It's like five beers and five cups of coffee, like in one can, and it fucks you up. Beer and it has caffeine in it. Yeah. Oh Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, you want to punch a baby? That shit makes you crazy. Yeah, it's, but it's super, very it was like, cheap, I bet. Yeah, it's super cheap and it's the highest alcohol content they'll have like at like a 7-Eleven wow. or whatever. And I just was like, what's that? And I was like, I heard malt liquor can really fuck you up. And like, I need to get to where I need to be. So it was like drinking those in the morning and it was bad. And uh, uh, I got into a physical altercation with my now ex-husband and I can't get into it too much because of legal reasons. And a lot of it was cut from the book oh, for wow. legal reasons. And, um, I tried, I pulled a knife on him, um, which is not something that I'm proud of or not something I would normally do, I hope. Uh, and I got, he called the cops and I got arrested for felony domestic violence. And I went to jail. So now that I have like read your book too, and I hadn't thought about it until this moment of you saying it, is that kind of the best thing that ever happened to you? Yes. <laughs> Well, that's what I say, because you know, really... well, yeah, I was left penny. I tried to kill myself after, um, again, cause that's like my move. Like I'm out, you know what I mean? And, uh, I couldn't, uh, you know, I couldn't <sighs> stop drinking. I got off the oxy and I was in a criminal trial going through a divorce, totally having another nervous breakdown. And then, uh, I was left, he left me penniless in a psych ward and to give me any alimony cause he was going to uh -huh. do a spousal abuse defense. So now I'm 42 and I'm on medical disability and I have I don't have a fucking dime to my name and, and you have to I show have, up to court. I have, have, have 240 hours of community labor, which is me and like 40 Hispanic guys sweeping fucking trash on the streets and a, a year of domestic violence counseling. And it, you know, in the beginning I was like, fucking poor me. Like, how did this happen? And he's a dick and the police are assholes and my lawyers suck. And then I was like, wait a second. I really had this epiphany. And I was like, this could be the best thing that ever happened to you, Amy. 
or it could be the worst thing that ever happened to you. And it's your decision. Like, this is a crossroads. And, and that's why my book has that quote from Will Rogers. The worst thing that happens to you can be the best thing for you if you don't let it get the best of you. And I just thought, this isn't coincidence. You've been a fucking entitled dick and super destructive your whole life. And it's like, it's time to face, you know, your consequences. And it's time to really have a shift in the way that you interact with your the world and the way that you look at yourself. And take responsibility. And again, I never wanted to take care of myself. I'm like, I'm a princess and my daddy's going to take care of myself. And then my, my rich husband's going to take care of myself. And the universe is like, oh, really? You don't want to take care of yourself? Okay, here. And like, so I'm left literally penniless in my 40s. And at that point, your dad is not stepping in. No, there's no more money. This. There's no more money. There's been hundreds of thousands of dollars spent on yeah, rehabs and detoxes and therapists. And they're also done. They're yeah. just like, it's, we're so tired, man. We are tired of you at the bottom of the fucking well, man. We've been doing this for 20 years. Yeah. Like, we are done. We're emotionally and financially drained, honey. Yeah. And so I just made a decision to embrace what was happening to me. And to docu I documented it on Facebook because I was so, I was kind of ashamed of it. But I also was like, and the way I deal with my shame is to show it to everyone. Like, hi, I'm ashamed of this. And so I'm going to talk about it. So everyone knows. So no one has anything on me and I own it. And you'd be surprised how many people identify with whatever it is that you're like, I'm so ashamed. Everyone's totally. like, I feel that way, you know? Totally. So I started to Facebook post like every day, like another day on the chain gang and like whatever I learned or whatever. And that became a book. Yeah. Uh, but it really changed my life. I learned ethics. I learned teamwork. I learned to finish what I started. I learned personal responsibility. I, I'm a really good sweeper now, too. If you want me to show you after I can yeah. sweep yeah. for you, I'm really terrific. <laughs> like I'm a pro. Um, uh, and it was extraordinarily humbling because no one would talk to us. We were criminals. I mean, we were in outfits and yeah. everyone knew who the fuck we were. Yeah. And I was like, when I showed up there, I was like, oh my God, like these people are criminals. Like I'm a Jewish American princess. Like, like, I just pulled it. I wasn't even yeah. going to use it. I was like, like, I'm not supposed to be I wasn't even the right knife. And like, I didn't even <laughs> stab him. Like, what is the big deal? Like, you know, and uh, they were like, what you here for, Weta? I'm here for a DUI. What you here for? And I was like, oh, um, I'm here for felony domestic violence with a deadly weapon. They were like, oh, <laughs> shit. So then they're like, who the hell? Yeah, they were like, yikes. <laughs> yeah, crazy white bitch. And like, so, I mean, I immediately caught that, like, I was the criminal because it was like, I was there. I had much more time than anyone else assigned to me by the courts. Everyone's like, how much time you got? I'm like, 240. I was like, would you fucking rob a bank? Like, holy shit. Like, and I was one of the few people there for violent assault. Everyone else was there for like a DUI. And it was like, I was like, you're the criminal dumb fuck. It's yeah. you. And it was like a huge shift. And so for me, it also allowed me to have a lot of empathy for other people because it's like, you think all this stuff would never happen to you. Getting arrested, being in the psych ward. I've been in the psych ward four fucking times. Like, you know, all this stuff, medical disability, like all that shit. And it's like, I'm here to tell you that anything that you think that can't happen to you in the right or wrong circumstances, you two are capable and to have empathy for other people because that could fucking be you. Yeah. And that created a bond for me to 
all people yeah. and an empathy for people and a humility and that I never had before. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so sort of that shifted everything for me. And, uh, I wrote the book and, you know, some people don't like it and they're like, you're unlikable. I'm like, it's an addiction <laughs> memoir. Like if you're not an asshole when you're crazy and on drugs, like, I don't know what to say. Like if you're not right. if, like, what were you, you read the title of the book. What were you expecting? Yeah. It's like, if you're not unlikable in an addiction memoir, like you're not fucking being honest what enough. Like, yeah, I, I mean, did when I was on a junkie for years, like went around and gave people flowers. No. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't get it. Like people were like, you know, and it's like, yeah. And I was really, I, I was more concerned with telling the truth than I was with being PC or being likable. I was like, I'm going to tell the fucking truth. You know, I'm going to write. I mean, you know, Jerry Stahl's like, if you have the nerve to live it, you should have the nerve to write it. And I was like, all right, bitch. Yeah, because I'm guessing you could have and you might have edited some things out. Yeah, there was I an editor and a, a couple places. She's like, a little harsh. And I was like, leave it. Wow. I was like, I'm okay with looking like an asshole. Because it's the truth and that's who I was at the time and I was judgmental and and I, you know, as long as I'm an interesting asshole, like that's okay. Like, because if you're writing for people to like you, like you're fucked. Yeah. Like, you know, write the truth. Fuck being (laughs) likable. Fuck, you know, all that. Like you write the fucking truth and you'd be surprised how many people identify with that stuff. And that's continue, you know, what I continue to do in articles and what I continue to do even in tweets and stuff, just embarrassing stuff that I just own. And it's like people identify with that stuff because you're just never alone in it. No. And I also was just like, fuck shame. You know, it's like, you know, that this uh, girl, a fan, a a reader and a fan did that made my book into oh, look at that cool, cool right yeah it says that's shame. funny and that's a big thing that i talk about because you know shame actually lowers your dopamine it when you shame yourself or if you feel less than or someone shames you it lowers your dopamine tone and if you're a fucking you know someone with low dopamine tone like most addicts or sex addicts or gamblers or whatever your brain is going to be like I need dopamine. Like, and whether you get it from a fucking cupcake or a dick or fucking drugs or wherever you get it from. So it's really important to not shame other people or yourself. It is not for me. It never got me sober. It was never a helpful emotion. I'm not saying not to have regret for bad behavior or to try and make amends and clean up the wreckage. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying for me, beating myself up for stuff never helped me get better. Yeah. It just made me feel like more of a piece of shit. And then I wanted to be more self-destructive. And it was just this horrible downward spiral. Totally. It's me, Trisha, bringing you a brief interruption because I have got to tell you about my infrared sauna blanket. You're like, what the heck are you talking about? You've likely heard about sauna rooms, the sauna booths. Those are cool. I have what's basically an infrared sauna sleeping bag. You get in it, got long pants, long shirt, socks on. You get in this sleeping bag, (laughs) they call it a blanket, and turn it on. I like mine at about seven. I keep water nearby. I lay down and watch a good show, and I sweat all the toxins, all the stress, all the achiness, all the soreness out of my body. 
I am obsessed with this thing, and I'm not the only one. Apparently, Lady Gaga has one, Selena Gomez. It definitely is a big helper if you're someone like me that has um, chronic pain and inflammation. But it also, it's something I do if I've had a long day of driving, if I've been exercising a lot, if I'm just freaking tired, if I feel like I have a cold coming on. It is major for detoxifying. Um, it improves collagen, it improves sleep, it reduces inflammation, it increases blood flow and circulation, soothes muscles and joints, it's anti-anxiety, it increases feel-good chemicals, and it actually even burns 600 calories. So that's nice too. You really do feel your body releasing stress, releasing toxins. It is amazing. I am obsessed. Go get it. Higherdose.com. They even have an uh, interest-free payment plan, and you can use my code JOY100 for $100 off. If they ever cancel that code, try JOY50 for $50 off, but I'm pretty sure they're still honoring JOY100 for $100 off. Higherdose.com. It's seriously amazing. I bought mine a year ago. I use it a couple times a week. So worth the money, worth the investment, super easy, amazing, nurturing self-care that you can do at your house, and it's even easy to roll up and put away. So go invest in yourself. It seriously has been a game changer for me. Higherdose.com, joy 100. I mean, you were saying before, the when you're saying when you first started posting it on Facebook and, you know, things that you would feel shame and like people would see that. It's like, I think, I mean, that's the whole point of me having this podcast is even having conversations with people and people being real and opening up and even, yeah. people, you know, people that people would look up to like, and I'll ask some people like, wow, so you have everything you wanted now, right? right. Like, how does that right. feel or like whatever, like, right. is everything great? Like, because I think too, like everyone was so like chasing something or some feeling and you know whether that's an addict or just humans are yeah. chasing these feelings of being enough and being loved and being seen and well, being I heard. Think, yeah i think it's totally human and you know that if we we think like if i get this i'm gonna be happy if i get him or her i'm gonna be happy if i get to this weight i'm gonna be yeah. happy whatever it is and it's like that's just not i mean i haven't gotten everything i wanted but I've gotten some of the things that I dreamt of, like getting a publishing deal is a pretty big fucking yes. deal and having people go, oh, my God, your book changed my life. I mean, that's been the best part yeah. is the fact that people go fucking thank you. Thank you for keeping it real. Thank you for making me feel less broken. And thank you for making me feel less alone. And thank you for giving me hope that I could get better, you know. And that's been the biggest joy. Yeah. And it's weird to have been such an epic fuck up and to now be someone that's an inspiration to people. That's really hard <laughs> to take in. Do you know what I mean? No, totally. Like when people are like, you're amazing and you're my spirit animal. My roommates and friends are like, you're still a dick. Like, you know, they're like, <laughs> they don't know you. You're fucking disgusting and an yeah. asshole. And it's like, you know, I mean, and I still don't have it together. You know, I mean. My sex addiction and talking about being a female perpetrator of domestic violence is gnarly. Being Talking about uh, being a female IV drug user is pretty gnarly, especially coming from, an, you know, an upper middle class background. Yeah. And then being a female sex addict on top of it, also really gnarly to break through. And I was just like, fuck it. I'm out to break stigma and shame. And I know I'm not alone in this stuff. Yeah, you're definitely not alone. You know? People are, yeah, they're yeah. shame. So people are quiet about their feelings. And even if they have different, I'm sure people that are not addicts, you know, too, it's like when you read about other people's stuff, when you hear about it, when people are being real and opening up about any struggle, 
It's the feelings. Yes. Everyone identifies with the feelings. Yeah. And like, oh, we're all like, no yeah. matter what you have yes. and what you've done yes. and how you're raised, yes. like we all are like facing this shit every yes. day. Everyone's so hard trying to like love themselves. Everyone's trying to find a connection, find love. Everyone's trying to find purpose and find, you know, and, and fucking survive financially. Everyone's trying to, you like know, every, everyone's trying to, yeah, like everyone's, everything. you know, yeah, it's, everyone's got the same stuff going on. Everyone's facing the same feelings of like, you know, yeah. um, and that's the stuff that it's interesting when I've written pieces for recovery magazines and other people are like, I'm not an addict, but I fucking identify with all those feelings. Yeah. And I'm like, it's 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 obviously human nature. It's yeah. life. And so. Um, so speaking of so being so honest in the book and that, like, how was that with like your parents or did you have pushback from people around you to not be so open in the book? Um. No, my father hasn't read the whole book. He hasn't read okay. the sex parts, the drug parts. Did you um, cut those out for no, him? No, his girlfriend just skipped those okay. parts. He doesn't want to, you know, he lived through it. He yeah. doesn't want to like read about his yeah. kid, like putting a needle in her neck, yeah. like, or fucking some stranger on Tinder. Like he doesn't want to know that. But you I also make I mean? up as a writer. He probably then respects um, you. Yeah, I mean, he does. He's like, you accomplished more in one book than I've ever accomplished in 30 years of writing. And I go, what are you fucking talking about? And he goes, you've changed lives. And I was just like, I would just start crying because that was never my intention. My intention was I'm going to write a really honest memoir and like, maybe it'll help someone like that would be cool. Like it was never to like look good because I certainly don't look good. I've not like had like lots of dates since the book came out. People are, you know what I mean? They're like, yay, she tried to kill someone and she's been in the psych ward and she's boned a zillion strangers and she's put needles in her fucking neck. Like, where do I sign up for that? And she has epilepsy and she's a depressive. Yeah. Like, Yahoo. Like, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> dream girl. What a great wife. Um, but, uh. Um, my mom read the whole book. She wasn't thrilled with the way that I depicted her, but I said to her too, I said, you know, um, it's my story and it's my reality and I love you. And, but the truth is that that's how I felt growing up, you know? Yeah. So, um, I did have to get legal like okays from, uh, from certain people that were in it that I had to send them their chapter and be like, are you okay with this? I think one person made a change uh, and everyone else was like, fine. Uh, And then legal went through it and they just like fucking comb through it. I mean, there was stuff that was cut from it for for narrative arc. There was stuff that was cut for it for legal reasons. Um, You know, I was with my ex-boyfriend at the time that I wrote the book. And so I'm sure there's a shine on him that if I'd written it now, right. probably <laughs> wouldn't, I might have, you know, not let, you know, n- not seen it quite the way I was like, so in love. And like, it. now looking back, I'm like, um, that wasn't exactly <laughs> as perfect as I thought it was, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, he dumped me like a couple of months before the book came out and I've just pulled him out of acknowledgements and pulled him out of the bio. And I was like, bye fucker. You know, you should fuck with writers. Let me just say that. Like we will fucking describe you. We will write about you. We will kill you on the fucking page. Like, I'm sorry. Like, don't do that. Do not fuck with writers. You're an idiot. Um, now going back. So what we were in the very beginning, I think I mentioned about how like, yeah, I'm like, are you alive? Are you still living? <laughs> but so then I was even thinking like, 
man, what is that like to live with? Because I'm some stranger that's read your book, but I'm guessing, are there people in your life every, like, that are constantly, like, checking in? No. To be like, you know, like, and it doesn't ever get old of, like, somebody asking you, are you still sober? Are you this? No. And having, like, fear of if I'm you're going to so, split back. I mean, now I'm, a, like, a recovery speaker, and I speak, and I'm, like, very, very involved in the program and you know I, I it's like you know I write for recovery mags I mean no I, I, so you don't have feel like you're I don't coming feel up against like that. you know yeah I mean if my parent my parents are more concerned about my mental health like I can get depressed really easily and if I don't hear from me for a couple of days they're kind of like what's up you know and they're worried that I'm depressed they're not worried that I'm loaded Got it. Um, it's been seven years and they finally, I think that, you know, whether it's, whether it's uh, fallacious thinking or not, they're like, she's got it. And it's like, okay, you never have it. You know what I mean? I've yeah. had time before and it's like, you know, and I know that I've never, but I don't have people going, are you still sober? No one doubts Or anybody anymore. feeling like they're, yeah, like talking to you with like kid gloves or something like no, that. No, like, no, yeah. no, no, no. Was but, that after though? Like, so now it's been seven years when that's like. Do you even like remember that at a certain point? What or people were you just maybe not my sobriety? Not even challenged, but just like I was always sort open of handling though. you like, are you okay? Or is you gonna, you know, like feeling like afraid that you were gonna slip back into it no, when you're like living not in the sober really. house? I've or always anything. been really open too. Like I've always Got been it. really open if I'm having a hard time or if I'm having cravings or if I'm struggling. I'm really, really open about it. I'm not someone who hides it. I wasn't someone who ever hid it. There Got was a it. point where I was like a junkie and I'm like, I'm proud of it. I'm a badass. And it's like, now I look back, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. You know, but um, no, but I mean, like, you know, having people know you intimately, but you don't know them, they feel a connection to you. Right. And they're, you're a, they're a stranger to you. Yes. But they know like. Intimate details. Yeah. <laughs> of your sex life. I mean, of everything. Yeah. And it's like. And it's, that's a weird thing to navigate. And I, and I, I actually usually write everybody back who writes to me and not many authors do that. And whether I'll always be able to have the time to do that, I don't know. Right. But I feel it's important because I understand that people feel connected and yeah. they, and I think it takes a lot of balls to reach out to someone that you don't know. And they're probably always like, you'll never read this probably. And you don't care, but like, yeah. I want to say your book really changed my, and I'm like, Hi, thanks for your message. I'm so happy to hear that. Like, that's why. And people are like, holy fuck. I'm like fangirling. Yeah, I'm like crying <laughs> right now. And I'm like, I'm just a junkie, dude. <laughs> just a junkie that wrote a book. My life's not that great. You know, <laughs> living in a one bedroom. My fucking Colonel Puff Puff just knocked over all my magic candles. Like, shit's not that fucking awesome. I've been late in two and a half years. Like, relax. You know, um, but uh, I don't see myself you know, I, I realize that they feel connected to me and, and I, and they're strangers to me. So I just try and be really loving because I understand that people are struggling. It's a lot of people usually that are struggling or people that have had family that are addicts and they're yeah. just like, thank you for helping me understand what it's like. You know, I have a lot more empathy now for family members yeah. that are struggling. I didn't understand. And what do you... Do people ask you or do you have anything to say for people that have family or close friends that are struggling? Because it's oh, not God, like all the time. There's I mean, not. I mean, yeah. What do you tell someone? Because I know it's no, not really all like all the time. You can't you know, change I try someone. to get really to keep a good boundary. Like I'm not I'm like I'm not a therapist. I'm not an interventionist. You know what I mean? I'm not an addictionologist. Yeah. 
Like, this is my own experience, like, blah, blah, blah. You know, I try and be really careful because people start to treat you as like, like a therapist, like, you know, all the, uh, you know, the answers or, you know, and it's yeah. like, you've got to be really, you know. No, having boundaries, like, I hear you, I see you. Yeah, it's really, it's hard for me to do that. Like, you know, I, you know, there are people who are writing to me and once you open the door and respond, then all of a sudden they're like sending you their whole fucking life story and they're texting you every day. And it's like, I mean, I just don't have time to do all that. I try and respond as much as, as possible, but it's like, there's a lot of people doing that to me. And it's like, you know, I'm not a professional. Yeah. I only know what worked for me. And I really think that what's difficult about recovery is that there is no fucking magic recipe. It's different for everybody. You know, there are plenty of people who go, I'm going to get sober, you know, because they blacked out one night or got a DUI. Like I had to, you know, get sober a billion times and like try and stab somebody and lose everything. Like, you know, like everyone's different. You know, there are plenty of people who went to jail and it didn't change their behavior. And for me, you know, the community labor really changed my life more than anything else. It gave me that shift I needed that nothing else could have. It changed me, you know, and I'm so grateful for it. And that's what's really weird is like, you know, even going through difficult periods now, it's like I'm thinking like, well, you used to think blah, blah, blah was the worst thing that was happening to you. And look at the fucking gifts that you got from it and look how strong it made you. And it gave you like it. this could be the best thing that's happening is you, you know, dressed up in drag as the worst thing that's fucking happening. You don't know, Amy, you don't fucking know. And it's like, I just try and navigate it as best I can. And like, I think I was telling you before, you know, it's not been like all roses since the book came out. I mean, um, my mom got dementia. She broke her hip. She's wheelchair bound in assisted living with dementia. My father got cancer this year. Um, and he's, you know, on his way to remission, but they're both in their eighties and I'm an only child and I don't have a romantic partner and I have lots of friends and, but it's not the same, you know, and when you're facing your parents' mortality, it's a whole different thing of like leveling up and growing up and feeling alone in the world that I never had before. And I feel myself scrambling, like I got to get a partner. You know, I got to get a part. I, I need someone like I need a ride or die. Like, ah, you know, um, and money. I mean, money is terrifying. Like the whole money thing is just fucking terrifying. I'm like, oh, my God, am I going to live in a cardboard box? And they'll be like, hey, you were a mafia junkie. Can you wait? Can you open up that box flap and sign this for me? Like, I mean, money is fucking scary and I'm not good at it and I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know what I'm doing with taxes. I didn't file taxes for seven years. Like that whole period after I got arrested. And then I was like, what's my next book going to be about tax fucking evasion? Like, like you better get on top of it. You know what I mean? I didn't change my oil for seven fucking years. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know. I was just like, I don't know. Like, I, it's none of her occurred to me. Like, I can make a crack bong That's out of a fucking Mountain Dew bottle. I know. Like, like, what kind like, of like I have other skills, okay? I have other, I can find a fucking vein on you. Like, fucking no one's business. Like, better than any phlebotomist. Like, I have different skills. <laughs> so, it's like still very much growing up and like, what's next? Yeah. And so, is there anything you do to try to keep yourself 
like calm down. Okay. Like I know to be in the moment. You know, <laughs> I'm serious. Like I used to meditate. I'd studied TM. It worked great. And I stopped doing it. I'm like, I feel too happy. This is great. What am I going to write about it? And I said, well, honestly, as a fucking recovering at like, if I stop doing something for one fucking day, working out or meditating, it's gone. Then I'm never doing it again. I cannot give myself one day off. It's the worst. Wow. Like I'm either working out every day and I'm like, or I don't even know where the fucking gym is. Like, it's like, it's terrible. So um, I should meditate. I say that every time. I said every day, do I do it? No. Will it help me? Yes. You know, it's more to, for, you know, it, it can be more effective for me than some of, than, than, than the meds really, you yeah. know? Um, uh, I, I talk to people, you know, I have a really great support group that I talk to. Um, I also try not let my feelings be the boss of me. I don't know what to say. Like that was really how I got sober. Also this time was like, fuck your feelings, Amy, take the action. And what I've really talked, what I talk about when I talk about recovery, which is not something that a lot of people talk about. They talk about, you know, that it's all like wound based and trauma based and like, you've got to connect to a spirit, like a higher power and blah. And my thing is really about bidirectionality and neuroplasticity where it's like, you know what works? If you take fucking contrary action and you do the contrary action, you don't have to be a good person. You just have to fucking act like one. So, you know, no one wants to go to the gym. No one feels like going to the gym. But afterwards, you're like, yay. You know what I mean? And it's like, if you take this contrary action over and over and over again, whatever it is, writing, you know, taking a walk, you know, going to whatever class it is, picking up the phone, whatever it is that's difficult for you that you feel like you need to do. If you do that over and over and over again, you create slowly a new neural pathway in your brain that becomes your default mechanism and that becomes you. So it's like eventually that's the normal you. You're like retraining. Yeah. You retrain your fucking brain. Yeah. You know, so it's like the bidirectionality is acting yourself like into right thinking, using your body to change your feelings versus waiting for your feelings to change to take the action. Yep. And it's hard and I don't always do it. And there's times where like I'm writing, I'm working on, I'm co-writing a book right now and it's like in co-writing a pilot. And there's times where I'm just like, fuck this. And I'm just like nap time, you know? And for me, you know, that helps me sort of unplug and replug. Like I wake up and I feel better. All right. I'm also on really heavy epilepsy meds that make me tired. That's my excuse. I'm like, I'm old and my, I'm on a lot of medication, but like, I like sleeping and sure it's an escape. And is it, you know, is it the best escape? Well, it's better than like boning a stranger or fucking well, and it's smoking also, coke. You if know? you do it and then you wake up and you feel better yeah. and you can do something, that's one thing. If it's just like, I'm going to go take a nap and then like you don't get up and do anything no, for yeah. five days, no. then nap is yeah. probably not working. No. Yeah. So I take a nap and then I feel better and then I go do something, you yeah. know what I mean? I wake it up and like I feel a like a little bit recharged, you know, because my head will go, go on some ruminating fucking cycle that I can't get off of. And I'm like, okay. Time to turn this motherfucker off for a little while and wake up and feel different, you know? Yeah. I'm, so you mentioned it earlier. So I, you were like, I know I should meditate. So for me, taking that word out of my vocabulary was a game changer for me. Should. I saw the word, not should. I know. I was like, fuck, fuck the shoulds. Do should I take once? that one? <laughs> she said, should I? 
But here's ah! so no, but nobody we it's don't so, shit on yourself. It's so ingrained in our minds that yeah. most of the time people don't realize they're saying it. And my when my father passed away suddenly years ago, I was a live sound engineer. I used to tour with bands doing sound. And I just like, when he died, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I know I need to be doing more. I want to change people's lives. I want them to live their lives, but I had no idea what the fuck I was going to do. And, but I was just like, I'm going to stop saying the word should. And I like had this whole summer and I had no idea what I was going to do with my life, but I was like taking this year, like summer off because I was supposed to be on tour and I had to leave the tour because I was such a mess. And I just gave up the word should. And I committed to it fully. So every time, because it's, constant. Every time it tried and to come out of my shaming. son. You're right. That is shaming too. Well, because there's also should haves. I should have done this. I should uh, have done that. It's already happened. Right. That this, already happened. Right. And I That's can see that. So not helpful. I can yeah. see that as a learning experience. Correct. I wish I hadn't done that, but you know what? That already happened. Correct. So I'm not living into the shame Correct. of it. I'm going to choose again or choose differently. Right. Or right. Try not to do that tomorrow so, yeah, or whatever. So, yeah. yeah. You sort of brought that up. I was thinking the should have earlier, I almost brought that up. So the should, most of the time what I found replaced it was want. So it's like seeing like, so if the thought comes up, I should meditate. Then if you're going to say, oh, okay, I want to meditate, but you actually then get to ask yourself a question. Do I want to meditate or do I just feel like it's a should because it will make me better? Other people tell me it does whatever. Right. So then it me for you, like, you know what? No, napping works for me. I want to nap. Because then you're also shaming yourself maybe because you're not meditating. Right. Because that's a should. Right. And I, I gave this word up over 10 years ago. I still don't say it. I even when I'm reading my kids' books won't say the wow. word should. But it's so ingrained to us that I still feel the weight of should all the time. Of course. But since I'm so present to it that I'm constantly asking myself like, oh, do I want to do this or this? Well, this just feels like a should because people expect me to, or I said I would, so blah, blah, blah. Like, so it's, it mm. really has made me so mindful because I'm constantly tapping into well, what do I really want and why do I want it? Because even like, oh, I should do the dishes. I don't hate, I don't like doing the dishes. Well, Who I, does? Exactly. There probably people are. <laughs> well, I was with dishwasher yeah. when I was in San Francisco. <laughs> but like for me, it can be meditative. Can getting to the end point. Like, well, I want a clean kitchen. I feel better when my kitchen is right. clean. So, okay, I want to do this. Year. So it cuts out procrastination. Right. Like, so people can say like the fuck the shoulds do the ones that can sound like, so you just do what you want all the time. Like that's not possible, but I'm constantly mindful of why I'm making these choices. Interesting. Like I should do the dishes, but I'm really fucking tired. I'm going to go to bed, but I do want the dishes clean. So I'm going to make it be my priority in the morning. Or like, so it's again, it's, uh, it really is. I'm like cutting that. shame out I constantly. Like, like you yeah. actually highlighted yeah. that, that I'm yeah. constantly cutting shame out because I'm not living into the shoulds. And I'm asking yeah. myself, like, why am I yeah. doing this? What yeah. do I actually want? What do I want to feel? Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's what I'm pitching my first book to be about. Cool. <laughs> When you have your proposal, let me know and I'll pass I have it, it on. I have it, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to, I kind of already asked you this was what is a go-to to raise your joy levels? It might not be napping, but <laughs> like it could be, but the go-to to raise your joy levels could be like, yeah, when you're in a shitty like thought, you don't want to do something like something that you do to make yourself feel better. Maybe it's, you're supposed to meet up with people and you don't want to, or like, yeah, you're supposed to do something to give yourself like a mood adjustment. Some people it's like going for a walk, listening to music, could be taking a nap. It could be meditating. He's so ridiculous. <laughs> Cats laying on top of all the keychains. She's very drawn to inspirational. I knocked over your keychains and or knocked right. over your, your candles. And he's now very spiritual. Napping on top he's of. Very, he's very spiritual. <laughs> the affirmation. Keychains. Colonel Puff Puff is my guru. <laughs> so, you know. um, I try and do something that I, that, that I know is productive and that will give me a lift. Yeah. Something that I've been avoiding. 
I, mm. you know, that you know, even if it's some as simple as vacuuming totally. or working on the book or whatever, um, I also, you know, I mean, this is trained. This is so 12 step. I'm sorry to be such a like a person, but like, um, like being of service, like that feels good. Like helping someone with something else. Like, you know, I have sponsees, like, fuck it. I'm just gonna break my anonymity. Hi. Um, I always, I think you think anonymity is so overrated anyway. I think it's like, it's like, that was in the thirties. It's like, okay. Let's... Wait, so as part of AA, you're not even supposed to say you go to AA? Is that? Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. yeah. That is, that's kind of like, like hyper anonymous. Like, yeah. And it's like, it's, what is it? Skull, I was supposed to get the word out. Like... The skull and bone society. <laughs> like, I'm not really sure. It's like attraction, not promotion, but no one knows you're in it. So how do you attract people? I don't really get like. You know, There's I just think it can help you, but time. I can't tell you yeah. about it. <laughs> There's this amazing program that you'll have to figure out and it's not Weight Watchers, you know. And I mean, A, it can be creepy. I will, I will admit that. I mean, there's parts of it that I'm like, totally think are dope and other parts where I'm like, you know what I mean? Where I just kind of like yeah. disregard, you know. Um, But a big thing that I've learned in it is being of service. And, you know, and and when I've looked into the science, you get something called a helper's high. So when you Mm. help someone, you get a high off helping someone. And that feels good to me. Um, Yeah, I do that sometimes even when I'm like in a bad mood and are like feeling sad or down. But yet I don't sometimes want to tell somebody like I'm feeling sad. Because sometimes I don't even know what it's about. Yeah, of course. But see, I've noticed sometimes when I feel that way, I'll just send a text message to someone like, hey, thinking of you. Hope you're having an awesome day. That's even that kind of service. Yeah. You know, because I think when people think of service, they're like, oh, you volunteered to like. No, 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 no. I mean, little things. But yeah, Yeah. it's like that really. And and when me thinking, oh, I don't know what other people are feeling. Instead right of like feel it fo- going into that feeling, giving. Yeah. And, it's Which, like, and that actually raises you in a way. And it seems, yeah. it seems counterintuitive. But it does. But it works. Even sending a text message of totally. somebody. How are you? Note. What's going on? Are you okay? Hey, you're an awesome you. Monday. Exactly. Love you. You're exactly. awesome. Like, exactly. Just text somebody else what you yeah. want to hear. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right? I mean, that's I have not actually what I'm doing, but now that I'm saying it out loud, it sounds like <laughs> right. No, but hey, give someone else what you need. I think that that's because we're really all smart, humans, you know. Like, yeah, yeah and it you know. Good. Um, I mean, I have to talk about self care because <laughs> it's such a fucking gross, overused word. But like, you know, I also will like take a bath, and the colonel will come and terrorize me, and touch the water, and jump in the bath, and walk on the edge, and be annoying. Um. Uh, I get, or get a massage, you know, um, uh, and I have sponsees. So I have people who call me with their shit and there's times where, you know, you're just like, you just don't even want to fucking pick up and deal with that, you know? And you're like, Hey, what's going on? You know, and you're there for them and you feel valuable and you, you know, and I, and I always tell my sponsees, I love them. When I first got sober, my sponsor said, if no one's told you they're proud of you today, I'm proud of you. And if no one's told you they love you today, I love you. And I used to just cry and cry and cry. Damn, I know. We all just want to hear those you basic know, right? things. It's so fucking basic, man. About nothing. Just like, fucking I'm proud cry. of you for living. Your- yeah, <laughs> just for like, you know. And so I always like, hey, uh, you know, awesome job. I'm proud of you. I love you. And I had one that was like super stubborn and would like, like it took her a while to say I love you back. And I'm like, I'm going to keep hitting you with the love bomb, bitch. And you're going to say it back. And now she does. You know what I mean? So it's like, um, 
trying to think of what else I do. That's it. This is like joyologist. I feel like I have to be like more joyful. No, people do. Like somebody, I had this musician that I knew on for years. I'm not like talking about like, like I masturbate or something weird. No, he was like, I do. He was like trying to like say some gratitude or something like that. And I was like, I know you. And I was like, I'm pretty sure like you go and get good coffee. (laughs) He's like, oh, am I allowed to say that? I can put my head on the wall. But he was like, I didn't know I was allowed to say that. I was like, yeah, no, this is like people out in the world. Like do what makes you happy. I'm not trying to like, what should I do? What's a good answer to give to people? (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) He was like, I'm like, no, please give whatever answer actually is. Like if it's taking a nap, that's great. Like, yeah, <laughs> I can overdo the caffeine. I wrote a, I wrote, I just tweeted. I was like, you know, when you're trying to like, like over caffeine to like spin above your depression, but then you overshoot the mark, then anxiety. And then, you know, depression's like, that's all you got, bitch. And then the depression's like, hey, now I'm here too. And you're like, fuck, you know, you're just like, oops, that didn't work. Now I'm depressed and anxious and f- over caffeine, Yay. you know, um, but music helps. I like music. I put music on. Yeah. It makes me like, you know, get my sweatpants and listen to music and, yeah, you know, and just also just, I mean, this sounds so stupid, but just remind me like right now, right here, I'm okay. Like here I am. Everything's fine. You know, half the shit you've always worried about, it's going to happen. Most of that shit never happens. You don't know what the fucking future holds, you know? Um, And I mean, even as a Jew, like when I'm really freaking out, I'll pray. I'll pray on my knees and, you know, just don't do that. But I'll just be like, Universe, I really need you to help me show me what I'm supposed to be doing here. And like, and you know, or take away this obsession with this guy or, you know, <laughs> it's just not worked at all. Universe, hello. Um, but, you, you know, you get new you candles. Know, yeah, I know. Fuck it. <laughs> Kern, Kernel, yeah, that candle just fucked those up. Um, but like, you know, um, I'll just pray. And it's really just me kind of just like, you know, you know, or thank you. Yeah, that's another one. You know, that's another thing instead of going like, I want this, Santa, you know, dad, sky daddy, I need this. (laughs) You know, know, it's so creepy. Isn't it the creepiest thing? I saw that meme and I was like, that is the creepiest thing. And I'm totally using it. Um, And just being thankful, being like, thank you. Yeah. What? Thank you. Yeah. And and it's funny. I, you know, there's so much talk about the gratitude, but those times when I do like sit down and start to be like, what am I grateful for? It sounds like roll my eyes, but once you start to go, it's like, holy shit, we have so much good. Like, even if yeah. you think you're like in such a hard point in your life, like, uh, okay, I have clean water. I have this. Yeah, like, you know, it's MR- like you can go yeah, with got, so many things. I got an MRI of my wrist where I had, I've had a wrist injury for six fucking months and it's not getting better. And I went and got an MRI and MRIs are so much fun. I'm sure, have you ever had one? No. Oh, well, you're like in this like weird white tube right. and it's like this like. And like 20 minutes, it's the gnarliest. Like someone banging on a fucking like metal garbage can over your head with a hammer, and you've got to stay completely still for 20 minutes. And I was like, this fucking sucks. Like, fuck. And I went, thank God I have health insurance. I was like, you know what, bitch? I am grateful I have health insurance that is covering my MRI. I was like, there you go. There's and that, sh- and that shifted it. And also, you know, that's the other thing. Like the guy, I try and be, be bring humor to people in real life and make people laugh. And sometimes it's inappropriate and it overshoots the mark and people are like, you, you know, like, or whatever. But like most of the time, like, like the x-ray, the, the, the MRI specialist 
he was so kind. He was like, are you okay in there, Amy? Like, you know, you know, I just need to make sure these pictures are okay. You doing okay in there? And I'm like, yeah. And I just afterwards, I looked at him and I just said, I want to thank you for being so kind because medical procedures, half of what makes them bearable or unbearable, they're not in general fun, but your, you know, kindness towards me made this such a good experience. And I just want to thank you for being one of those people that brings that. Yeah, totally. And and then I tried to hand him my earplugs and he was like, put those just in the trash. And I was like, many a man wants to be in my ear, Ray. I don't know why you don't want to take my earplug right out of my ear. He was just like, okay, wow. He was like, we had a special moment. And yeah, then- <laughs> and then you ruined it. That's so me, though. That's so me. Just over, just, just completely overshooting the mark, you know? Like, a really like, oh, that's so nice. Thank you. And then me, like, then saying like, something, like, totally creepy and overshooting. That's so me. <laughs> How come you did it? You were did comedy at one point, right? Do you still do comedy? No. Just, okay. Oh, God, no. Just wasn't the right... No, I mean, I do. You enjoy being funny, but you don't have to. No, I do recovery speaking and I did well and I liked it. And, you know, and I, and I toured and did the whole thing. And, you know, it's a young person's game and it's like, you know, I don't want to be at a fucking club at one in the morning when everyone's loaded. And I want to be in bed at like 10 o'clock or nine with the Colonel and just chilling, you know, and it's like, you know, it's hard to make, it takes a long time to make money. And I mean, when I got arrested, my whole life exploded. I was kind of like, I got to do a tight 10 minutes at the comedy store. Like I was like, I need to not go to jail or blow my head off and get sober. Like my priorities kind of changed. Got it. And I also didn't need the validation. I just didn't give a fuck. You know, I had to go inward and really kind of fix myself. And so then, you know, I've not gone back. People have been like, you should go back. You should go back. And I just don't really have an interest, but I do like bringing humor to talk about recovery because yeah. so few people do that it's so serious like well my spiritual moment this is a deadly disease and i'm like shut up yeah. i mean like that's all true but it's like we can also have humor about it because if we don't laugh at the shit we've done and been through like oh god it's just unbearable yeah i tend to laugh a lot and that's there's always laughter in the podcast and most people are sharing s- serious stuff but i'm not a comedian but i just i think and i ended up reading something somewhere some study yeah, that it's like to- Oh, go, what were you gonna, no, go. What was no, the but there's some study about how like they're more depressed and fucking drug addicty. No, that <laughs> laughter like um, helps people to even like absorb information and Absolutely. deal with things better. I don't know because, exactly yes, what it is yes. and I probably won't but be able to find it. that's the other reason I included it. But it was something like, because yeah. I was kind of like, oh, perfect. I'm on that. Mark, like I wasn't intentionally Perfect. doing it, but Absolutely. I've always laugh at something things and people sometimes because you help remember because it locks it like into like yeah yeah being amused. And it's like you know like I spoke at a thing a couple of weeks ago it was fifteen hundred people. I was so fucking terrified, and they were all young. And I just, I mean, maybe it wasn't the most spiritual fucking twenty minutes about sobriety, but man, they were laughing their ass off, and it was just like to yeah. me, it was important to keep their attention. And I think I had like, they and then I brought it down and brought it into some more serious stuff. But it was like, you know, at the top, they were really fucking rowdy, man, like jacked out their head on Red Bull. And I was like, oh, my fucking God, running around in like unicorn outfits. And I was like, oh, fuck me. Like, you know, and I was like, I got to keep their attention. And so, yeah, you know, I just was just like joke after joke after joke about 
stuff. And it's like also the way I deal with my shame is like by diffusing it. It's just, you know, you, you know, it's like when you've done as much fucked up shit as I have, like you have to fucking have humor about it. And it helps other people go, thank you for making me laugh about stuff that I had so much shame about. And yeah. I'm like, fuck shame, man. We're so hard on ourselves. Yeah, it's like, like you did the best you could at the time with the tools you had. If you could have done better, you would have done better. It's over. Like you said, it's fucking over. Yeah. And it's like, you know, shit is funny. Like life is funny. Like you've got to laugh at it and just move the fuck on. Yeah. Okay. Um, I always ask everybody this question. What is God. easiest for you is not always what is best for you. Oh, God. Can you think of a way to apply that in your own life? What is easiest is for me to do. What is best for me to do? Mm. Like that can apply to many things. God. <laughs> I think for me, it really applies to going with my urges, um, whatever they be. Um, I want what I want. And especially, you know, like, I want to text this guy, but like this person's really emotionally unavailable. So really, is that best for me? And so I try to be like, you know, like, is this self-supporting or is this self-sabotaging in the long run? No matter what you want, if you want the candy or the dick or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, like, like having that urge to reach out and going, is this really going to serve me? Or is this just going to prolong more confusion and like, you know, this person's really not a contender for many reasons. Maybe you need to just let it go, Amy, and just turn it over. And like, if, if, you know, it's supposed to be, it'll be, um, that's, you know, I mean, with writing, writing, I mean, the thing project I'm working on now is not easy. Writing someone else's story is not like writing your own story. And it's much, much harder than I expected. And I just go, Hey bitch, you know, sit your ass down and turn on the computer and let's do an hour. Yeah. Like just, you know, you don't have to, you know, do six hours. Just like, let's peck away at it a little bit. You yeah. know, I love that. Is this self-supporting or self-sabotaging? Yeah. And I mean, like question. I like caffeine and, but I have epilepsy and it's like, I will overdo anything like, you know? And so like, I want a third year Bamate, you know? And it's like, yeah, I know. I've gotten cracked out of my mind on Urban. Yeah. Oh, I so. <laughs> well, I, not like, yeah, I'll go. like I'm saying cracked in my mind. You know, so <laughs> yeah, definitely right. not. Yeah, you're like, honey, I, I'm like, honey, you don't even know. Like, you do not yeah. use the room. I mean, like, you know. Phrase. Yeah, like I go to Starbucks and I'll be like, I need a seven shot latte. They're like, I'm sorry, seven shots. I'm like, don't fucking judge <laughs> right. me. Right. I'm like, I used to shoot cocaine. Like, do not fucking. I'm like, I can handle it. Fuck me up. Break it out. You know, but like today, like I was like, I want a third year Bamante because I feel weird. And I was like, you know, let's not. <laughs> let's just not. Let's be our mommy. Let's not do that. Good job. And I didn't. I'm proud of you. So this is this is just this is two year Bamantes <laughs> from like hours ago. Um, but you have bubbly high energy. I do. And I just hit my head so hard on the wall when you made me laugh. <laughs> oh, my God. I do. And I don't need that much caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but what, yeah, I mean, I think that that's what we all struggle with is what's easy versus what I should do. No, mm -hmm. See? What's easy versus what's best for me. Yeah. And one person even said it back to me and they were like, oh, what's easiest or what's hardest for me? And I was like, no, but that's the thing. It's reframing. Like, yeah, this is harder, but what's best for me? That's like really <laughs> something that's, that's, that's difficult. And it's something that I, 
I am working on. And again, I try and it's a constant. Thing. Yeah. I mean, and like, I try and I, every time I ask somebody that and I say this phrase out loud again and I'm like, well, of course, like there's everything like what's easiest and best. But I last year had some like aha about that thought. And now I've added, made it be like a question. But it's funny because every time I say it out loud, it's like, well, duh, what's easiest is not going to be what's best. For yeah. Everybody. I mean, but it's something that like every day, like I have to face a million choices a day. Of, right. What's easiest? I mean, I, well, I also really keep to my responsibilities now, which is not something I used to do. So it's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to drive that morning to do and speak for 10 minutes. Like, bitch, you agreed. Get yeah. in your car. Like, I don't care. Yeah. You know, like, that's it. Um, and that's, well, that's the last question that. <laughs> um, I think that that's, you know, I was alluding to is the, um, the last thing is the picking the phrase. Oh, so God, these are all so good. Uh, uh, can I just have always? like a, one of the keychain that would like all of them on? Colonel, <laughs> Colonel, which one? So, so not necessarily which one you love, but which rephrase you feel like should, you do the wants. See, but I want, like, I'm terrible. I, I'll do whatever I want. So it's like, that's uh, like a yeah, hard one. So that's what, yeah, one that really feels Everything is like going you. my way. The only judge of me is me. I don't give a fuck what people think. Yeah. Sort of. I didn't mean, seem like, like it would be. You're like, you're like, I noticed. <laughs> I mean, I do. Like, I mean, when people, all, have, written, some yeah, when people have written me really hurtful things, yeah. I just don't re respond. But like, you know, there's like a hundred like positive comments and one person yeah, who says course. something shitty. And I'm like. Hey, you know, yeah, there's always some level of I think let that shit go think. is the one that you know that yeah. I am here now. Kern Kerns, I am enough. See the good, I am magic. I've told you, I've said that before. And people are like, Um, do you need um, <laughs> a mood like an antipsychotic? Like, what's going on? Like, what have you taken? Yeah, when I went up to see my dad and I found his ring and I was like, Listen, I can heal you. I am magic. And everyone's like, Oh, god, um, I am a badass. Well, I know I'm a badass. Yeah, um, I think let that shit let go. that shit go. That's something I, I can hold on to something and just like chew and chew and chew on a resentment and be pissed and like you know, little things. And it's like, it, it will, it will just, it will fuck my whole day. And it's like little things, just like, let it go, man. It already happened. You know, it's like, it's over. Just let it go. Don't let it ruin your day. Don't give it that much power. Yeah. I mean, easier said than done for sure. Everything is easier said than done, yeah. but yeah, it all takes brain power, but willpower. This is the one. I need to just really let stuff like, we'll just roll yeah. more, you know, little things. Just like, pfft. Is yeah. that a good sound for for a podcast? Do you like that? It's. I thought it was a great. <laughs> <laughs> we can have the listeners vote. <laughs> I mean, I just you know, in ending, I would just say like, read the book. You can get it. Amazon's probably the best place to get it. Yeah. Well, yep. They'll have. Well, I'll have a link. Yeah. Below. And um, you know what all the things that that these things taught me and i'm so grateful is that i'm resilient as hell and i thought i was really fragile and i cry a lot but that doesn't mean you're not yeah resilient and so the things that i've been through i'm like i you know i'll, I'll and oh, i don't want to blow it it's in the book it's one of the best lines i probably shouldn't say it should i say it do you want to say it <laughs> Yeah, that was me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I keep taking the shit out. <laughs> um, what do you think is when best? I when I if you're struggling with something, I just want to say like just because you don't you know when it's when it's new, it's hard always, 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 always. 
And it's like, just because you fall down and fall down and fall down, it's easy to lose hope in yourself and faith in yourself that you can do it. But I'm here to tell you that you can, no matter how many times you failed, you can succeed at that thing. I'm living proof of that. I went from pariah to example to inspiration, which is just totally bizarre to me still. I don't even take that in because I'm still literally when they go, is there anyone with less than 30 days sober? Like my arm still goes up because I would relapse so many fucking times. And I'm like, oh, you have seven years, dumb fuck. Put your hand down. I'm like, wow. oh, yeah. Um, when I had um, three years sober, when I celebrated three years sober this this time, I called my dad and I said, I have three years sober. And he goes, I'll drink to that. And I'm like, hilarious. <laughs> and I said, when you talk to your friends, are you embarrassed of me? Do you feel ashamed of me? Because I've been in re so many rehabs and tried to kill myself so many times and been in so many psych wards and been arrested and, you know, been an IV drug addict. Do you feel, do you feel ashamed of me? And he said, without skipping a beat, he said, my friends wish they had a kid as unbreakable as you, Ames. And I just, I want to leave people with that. You're fucking unbreakable. Don't forget that. Yes. Thank you. And I love that reminder because, yeah, no matter what your story is out there, it's likely much different than Amy and mine. <laughs> I hope so, God, for your but sake. But read the book and that being able to claim that for yourself. Oh, wait, actually, I have these notes here that I forgot. The last question is, oh, but yes. you, kind of, you kind of answered it without me doing it. It's the name of the podcast is Claim It, which how we talk about the... Yeah, it's not that your feelings are once I do this or have this, then I'll feel that, that right. I feel like that's the point that we have to claim. Like we have to claim our worth. We have Absolutely. to claim our enoughness. Absolutely. We have to claim no that one's we're going to give it to you. Nothing, no, no book, no accolades, no man, no nothing. I got it once you. I'm here. It's that, yeah. And yeah. so, like, that's the point of claiming. So, I, I usually remember <laughs> to ask the guests is the last thing, like, what are you claiming for yourself? So, I, you might claim something different, but you actually answered the question without me asking by saying, like I am resilient. Yeah, I'm and claiming and I'm claiming self-worth that I'm worthy. You know, I think that a lot of us have imposter syndrome. Nine, yeah, you know, probably over right. You get us. something and you think like, oh my god, I'm a fraud and I don't deserve it. So and if they know, yeah, yeah, I but you're so yeah. bad, right? Yeah, and then you get it and you're like, I'm such a fraud. Like they don't even know I'm such a phony. And like you know, it's like, and I mean, my stuff could be more honest and embarrassing. Like I just outed myself as like a squirter on a on in an article. Like hi. Like you're just like you're. Like, was that not necessary? See, I'm sorry. No, I'm is this is this the most horrible one we've ever done? No, I would not say it at all. I but I was I like, I'm honesty. in Paris, and it was part of like my talking about trying to date after sex addiction, and like literally, I went on like a coffee date. I'm like, it's 12:30 in the afternoon. It's at Starbucks. Like, what could happen? Like, I haven't had sex in two and a half years. I don't even really masturbate anymore. I'm like weirdly sexually interacts. Like, it'll be fine. Like, I don't even know if I squirt anymore. Maybe dust comes out of there. It'll be fine. And like, next thing I know, like we're in my car in the parking lot's pavilion and he like touches the outside of my jeans and I just explode all over the, the car. And I just was like, I was so fucking mortified. And I just felt like my body betrayed me and just like all my like lust and just being out of control, just sh all over me, just showing it. And I just looked at him and I was like, I was like mad. I was like, I told you I was attracted to you. <laughs> and it was like, and I just want to, I just want to like, again, like who cares? Yeah. Like who gives a fuck? Yeah. It doesn't like, matter. Like there are other squirters. And honestly, most 
got they would i'm i'm sure is that a bad thing yeah they're like holy fuck how like she, yeah they're thing? like you can't fake that i really don't see how yeah they're like they're like you know thing. you know it's like well if you're into it it's cool and if you're not it's kind of creepy and gross and you're like i need a tarp like ah you know but it's like i mean <laughs> you know it it but i was just like you know what i feel shame around this and around and i'm gonna own it and fuck yeah. it and i was like and I didn't get any creepy messages. I made sure I was like, hey, guys, I'm t- I'm doing this to show vulnerability and to break shame and stigma. Please don't send me a fucking creepy message. You will be blocked immediately. Yeah. Well, that's so the phrase that only judging me is me that I have. My thought around that and the judgment, which is, again, is a shame like thing, is that I feel like a judgment can't have any weight over us unless it's something we believe to be true about totally. ourselves. Totally. I so- had a shrink. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> she just I got so excited. I had a I had the recording a gear across the room. <laughs> I, I had a therapist and he was just like, if you know who you are, he said, like, if someone said he was like a short Jewish bald guy and he goes, if someone told me like I was like, you know, a green Martian and, and he said, I wouldn't be upset or hurt because I know I'm not a green Martian. So it's only those things that we yeah. feel like, oh, is that true? Or we fear might be true or whatever that have the yeah. effect on us. That's so true. And sometimes it's in our own mind. Oh, yeah. And it's so- a fear of being judged. But then I have to like, then I like, because I will do this every day. What are people going to think? What are gonna people think? Like, whatever, like it comes up. And I'm someone who doesn't really care what people think. But I'm constantly realizing that I'm like choosing choices. And then I have to ask myself, well, is that what I believe? Or like, you know, like mm-hmm. it can be something like my nails if I cared about nails, be like, oh, my nails are terrible. I need to go get a manicure because I'm speaking tonight or like people are going to see my nails. Like I could make that be some sort of like, I'm not enough. People are going to think this because I don't take care of my nails or care about that. I could make that turn into a thing or I could be like, I think that I'm awesome and I could wear this linty sweater tonight in front of people and not have my nails done and I can still be awesome and make an Absolutely. impact. But we could, I could make that be a big deal and like yeah. I have to go get an awesome, like, you know. And so it's like constantly asking myself like, whoa, 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 Trisha, like, what do you believe? Yes. Yes. Because <laughs> that's all that really matters. I mean, it's how you feel about yourself that determines really your self-worth kind yes. of thing. You know, it's like. Yep. I mean, I would like to have more of that. I mean, I, a lot of times I faked like having being brav- like bravado, like having bravado and not giving a fuck what people think. And people are like, you're so brave. It's like, I'm not brave. I just speak the truth and just let the cards fall where they may. You know, it's really not. I'm not like, you know, I am frightened when I post a piece like right. that. And I'm I don't know how it will be received. And I just feel like my job as a writer is to be the fucking truth teller and say the thing that everyone's thinking that no one dares says. That's yeah. my fucking job in this lifetime, period. Love it. And you are claiming self-worth. I claim self-worth. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so for much. For sharing so much. And yeah, definitely we will link her and the book for sure. It's a great read. Like I said, I kind of was like, even knowing it was her real story, <laughs> I'm like still asking her if she's alive. So <laughs> that's a good read. <laughs> is this a bot or is this you? <laughs> All right. For more on Amy, you can go to amydresner.com. She's at Amy Dresner on social media. For full show notes, links to things we mentioned, go to yourdrologist.com slash podcast and you'll find all the episodes there. For all things me, yourdrologist.com and I'm at yourdrologist on social media. We love to hear from you. Let us know. 
what really stuck out to you in this conversation. Share the episode, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, because I love to hear why you're listening, that you are listening. And it also actually boosts um, the show to be more available to more listeners around the world. So, and if you do leave a review, screenshot it to me. You can screenshot it before you submit it. Otherwise, it might take a couple days to show up and send it to podcast at yourdwellgist.com and I will send you a little gift from my product line. Yes, I have those keychains, the affirmation deck, mugs, all sorts of products with empowering sayings. Some like so fucking grateful, some I am enough. So we got all the different types of people covered to empower you and inspire you to own who you are, to get out of your head, to love and accept yourself because you got to claim this life for yourself every single day. And we need reminders. We all do. All right. So thanks again for listening and um, give me a shout out. Give me a DM. I'm going to leave you with the final note today of thinking about how can you acknowledge yourself right now where you are as you're listening to this episode. You for sure have overcome something. Maybe not the addiction and addiction um, that Amy did, but you have overcome something challenging. So acknowledge that. It might have been like a stressful meeting you had this morning, or it could have been something really big. You have for sure done big things, gone through big things, and you can do that again. All right. I will, um, I'll be here for you at Your Joyologist.